And we're live. Welcome back, throne, or should we say melted thronies now? <laughs> Didn't expect that one. Welcome back, thronies. <laughs> <laughs> For the last time where we will be breaking down game of well, no longer Thrones, but Game of Something. But we will be breaking down the series finale of Game of Thrones. But welcome back. Make sure you're following us on all the social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Pop Theologians and on Facebook at Pop Theologians. You can follow me at jerickson 85 Marcy, my friend who's still not over it, where can we find you? I don't get over anything easily. Um, hey, guys, you can find me on Twitter at I am the men who can. For everyone that knows and doesn't know, it's a reference to Wonder Woman, and I'm very active on Twitter. She is. I am. I actually was live tweeting a ghost encounter in my house yesterday. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch, or I mean read. Yeah, someone was whistling in my house, and like, there's only me and the dogs, and so I thought maybe like someone was playing a prank with like I thought maybe Brent had put some type of app on his phone that would allow him through Alexa to whistle, but he swears that it wasn't him. And so, yeah. So <laughs> Another reason to get out of Florida. <laughs> I didn't get very good sleep last night. <laughs> Have you salted your house? I mean, I've saged it. I've like, I, I do, I've done quite a bit of stuff. Like, um, my house was, is built um, on Tequesta land, but it is the first house built here. So like, it's not like anyone could have died in my house. It's new land. And I already apologized to the Tequesta Indians for being on their land and recognize that it's their land. Um, and I honor it. So like, I think I did everything right. Um, like, I swear. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, was a, it was a long night. And the worst part is, and for folks who have dogs, like, my dog was attentive to the whistling. So it sounded like an old man was whistling in corners of my house. And every time I would get to that corner, there's no, no one whistling. But Grizzly's ears kept going up. And so like, I know that I'm not, look, it's very probable I'm going insane. But like, am I going insane with Grizzly? Like, am I Daenerys and is Grizzly Drogon? I, I just don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, Marcy, but I can <laughs> confirm that you are sane. Ish. I love you for that. You are so sweet. <laughs> well, so sweet. we just want to give a special shout out too to the Engaged Gays who host this podcast. You can follow them at engagedgays.com as well as on social media. And we want writers. So if you are a sassy pop culture theologian yourself or an academic or an activist or a scholar or just a regular old Joe, what did is, what is, what is Sarah Palin call them? Joe's? Joe's. Uh, if you are a Joe the Plumber, if you are Joe the Plumber, we will review and edit your materials, but we would still like you. Yeah, we, so one of the things that we do with the Engage Gaze is we just want to give a platform to voices that don't usually get highlighted um, about anything. Like we are, our spectrum of topics is everything from cults to Harry Potter to politics to obviously Game of Thrones, the Bible Bitches, um, our sister podcast who we love are hosted on there as well. So if you've got something to say, we'd love to hear it. So definitely come to EngageGaze.com and shoot us an email and we'll set you up. We've got something to say. We've got something to say. Um, so with all of that, Marcy, are we going to do some news this week? We're not because we, we have a nine-page outline for this episode. Uh, not to <laughs> She's not joking, listen. I'm not joking. Um, 
uh, we have a nine page outline for this episode, but in honor of the spirit of the fact that we do like to trash modern politics, um, we'll do it in the podcast anyway, but definitely think about donating to folks on the ground fighting for reproductive rights this, um, right now, more and more states are following, um, the, the Southern lead. So John, what are some good organizations to donate to? I know that you work for Planned Parenthood. Who else would you suggest? Oh my God, there are so many. So if you've been following the news a little bit and on social media, you can see um, an amazing organization in Alabama called Yellowhammer has received um, over $100,000. They support um, direct money um, to women in Alabama. Many of them are from communities of color, women of color that actually need the money, can't get the money, um, or maybe live in an area where they can't get access to transportation. I mean, that's why these abortion bans are draconian and awful and just sadistic. So you can support Yellowhammer, you can support the National Network of Abortion Funds, or you can support Planned Parenthood of the Southeastern states. All of these amazing organizations are providing the care. Still, abortion is not illegal in these states yet, and it won't be. We will fight back. We will make sure that this doesn't happen. I was very busy yesterday on a lot of rallies all over. I, it was saw on that. The, I was on the news and quoting. Well, guys, and I also want to say, for those of you who are like, I literally don't have money to donate, I'm going to raise my hand. I, I legit, like, have more more medical debt right now than I know what to do with. I do not have spare money. There are other ways to be allies to the women in your life right now. Listen to them, fight for them, be a voice for them. If there's a rally, show up as an ally. Like if, as a as a white woman, I'm Latina, but passes white. We've talked about this before. Show up for people of color who take harder hits on the front lines because oppression obviously has intersectional aspects that you know um, affect women particularly in very very real ways show up for your friends show up for the women in your life um we will get this done we will fight we will resist um you know it's not always just money um it's just it's a hard as women it's like human power it is and as women it's a really hard week a hard month like to process some of the rhetoric that we're kind of hearing in and out every day right uh one in four women has had an abortion which means there is a woman somewhere around you at this moment in time who is processing this really gross um, rhetoric and trying to stay positive and firm, but it is really difficult. Um, so show some love, show some love to the people in your life right now, to the women, women and men, because it's not just, uh, abortion is not just a female, uh, cisgendered female issue. Like it affects all of us behind every female abortion is a man who also got pregnant. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got this, but it, it's definitely been a, a hell of a fucking week. So, and men um, show up too. Sh- well, that's what I'm saying. Like men show up, like show the fuck up. You want to uh, know the proudest moment of my life though, Marcy? What was it? So I was on various news outlets yesterday and, um, where I was talking about how Roe v. Wade, which um, statistically right now is supported by 73% of all Americans. By the way, it's the highest statistic. It's probably been in a really long time of support for Roe. Don't want to see it overturned. 73% of Americans don't want to see Roe overturned. And there's not one state in the nation where overturning Roe is popular. Um, And I was stating that on KTLA or something. And then the moment I got done, I, they went to Mike Pence. So it was me, versus Mike Pence. Wow. That's like an unfair fight. Unfair fight. One, because I'm sure he's attracted to me. Let's be real. But (laughs) he's he's literally flying with like two flies up in that head of his. So, all right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of been like a discombobulating week. Uh, on to other discombobulated things, but these are exciting things. Um, for those folks who have followed the pop culture theologian since the beginning, you know that um, the show that we first started with was Westworld. And um, if you tuned in for HBO's premiere of the series finale of Game of Thrones, you noticed a very interesting preview with Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad that turned out to be, um, like, I don't know what to call it, like a bottleneck, like, trailer or something, but, like, at the end, we figured out it was a Westworld um, trailer. It's exciting. Uh, I don't know if that means the show is taking a hard turn left, right, and we're, we're leaving Westworld entirely, um, but an, a very, very exciting trailer for those of us that follow Westworld. Pop culture theologians will pick up, um, uh, covering Westworld when season three comes back. So we were very excited. I know, I just know I was very caught off guard. I was like, I wonder what this Aaron Paul show is. And then it was, um, you see Dolores, uh, turn and I was like, what? Yes. And I forgot how much I miss Westworld and, and bitching about Westworld. Cause anyone who follows knows that how the writing is extremely intelligent and doesn't destroy its characters one by one. That oh. makes you want to just See, Go what, nuts. You're, what you're experiencing is that thing women have after birth where they forget how painful birth was. You have forgotten that the last season of Westworld, the writing was such garbage that we were like, how could they betray our show like this? Um, which is why I, I take back everything I just said. No, it, uh, this is what happens, right? And I think this is an actual great way to set up breaking down this final episode. It gives a bit of perspective. So obviously John has perspective now with this final Game of Thrones episode that it could be much worse. Writing could be much worse. But also time and distance from something that you love lets you kind of look at it through a different light. I think the way that we look at Game of Thrones, you know, John and I waited longer than some podcasters. Like, I mean, some people literally recorded right after the episode. We waited three days and we rewatched so that we would have some time to process this humongous endeavor ending. Um, and I think we made the right call. I think, because I think on second viewing for me, it was a very different experience than my immediate reaction um, Sunday night. But also thinking of how we, we look at Westworld a year and a half removed from the last season reminds me that we are going to feel very differently about Game of Thrones as a whole a year from now. Because right now, all we see, we have tunnel vision on this end, right? And, and that will fade and we'll see the, the full picture a year from now. And I guess- I'm that's still pretty pissed. And I think that's my cushion before we go in. So let's, let's break down the final episode of Game of Thrones titled The Iron Throne. Okay. So I think Peter Dinklage has an Emmy on his hands. Um, like six. Well, he's already won a bunch of them, but um, I want to start, and tell me if you agree, John, with acknowledging that I think this final episode comes in two acts. We have act one and act two. Um, and I'm going to say that I, I'm going to start the breakdown of this episode with an overarching statement about the series and then my feelings on, part, on act one and two. I overall like where we ended up in Game of Thrones in this final episode. 
I don't like how we got there. That is what, that is how I feel overarchingly. I feel like we got to where we needed to get for the most part. I just don't like how we got there. I think we've covered this in previous episodes. We were missing, we just needed a couple more episodes, exposition, whatnot. But I do, I do like where we got to. This final episode split into two acts. And I think it's very obvious that the first act goes all the way to Drogon flying off with Daenerys. No spoilers there. Why? That's why you're here. And then the second act is two weeks later. <laughs> I want to say that I think the first act of this episode, if we had had the context for it, right? If we had had the buildup and context for everything to start this episode right where it starts off, the first 45 minutes, my brother is going to be so surprised I'm saying this because I was so angry when I saw it the first time. Um, the first 45 minutes of this episode are near perfection. Stunning. I will say that much. The scene, Yay, okay, with, good. The, the scene with Daenerys and, the, and Drogon flying out with the wings is probably one of the most iconic shots of the entire episode Look, series. That scene was just, just breathtaking. Beautiful. The cinematography in this season is award-winning everything you mentioned it before like during the night king battle the the dragons above the clouds daenerys emerging with drogon's wings Tyrion, the the like the camera shot above Tyrion looking at the brick surrounded jamie and cersei is a stunning shot the cinematography was amazing so it's interesting yeah so we'll start with this first act so Tyrion is walking through the streets of King's Landing, taking in the devastation of what Daenerys has done, right? Um, and this is not an uncommon scene uh, after, after like a big war battle, right? The, the walkthrough. Um, I think what's particularly devastating is one, the acting that Peter Dinklage is doing with his face. Um, we, we have this very eerie silence, right? With like, so it's the ash coming down. It's very quiet as he's walking through and it's like, it's haunting. But then there's like these, again, it's the cinematography. There's these beautiful shots. There's, <laughs> there's beautiful shots of like burnt children, right? Um, particularly one that has like a burnt horse, which Davos and John are behind Tyrion, and that brings us back to like the horror of Shireen, right? Um, there's a man who's like got his head in his hands, just like covered in ash, like devastated, right? And so we've just got this very long walk, right? And um, it reminds me of Augustine's like uh, the long night of the soul, right? Like it should be a long, silent, painful walk for John, Tyrion, and Davos, like. They, they've earned that, what I'm going to call like a walk of shame. I, so I knew where we were going in this episode. That scene with Tyrion walking around, this type of walk, the little girl, when you really see what's, what Daenerys had done, it hits you that if we would have had the character exposition of three to four episodes or even last season, when they start building down or, you know, giving us what they're trying to shoot, like this shoot us at with, or trying to just 
constantly give us all these things like Daenerys is like the Walter Wright of the Game of Thrones world where 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 I mean here is that for so many seasons we saw her as the savior right but then they turned her in to Scarface in some way shape or form and so if we would have had her transition into quote-unquote villainhood better more or more deserving of the character that we all love that I loved it's a little bit of a different story but that's why it's so hard for so many of us to swallow this episode well and I think I think on my second watch I also I think because I finally did the mental gymnastics to be like okay Daenerys I'm gonna pretend we got here that walkthrough of Tyrion um I felt devastation for Danny as well because there's something like I think we went through it in Last Jedi. There's this moment where Kylo Ren has this like moment of recognition of the awfulness of what he's done, right? And he feels that severe sense of like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's like a loss of self, but also like a self horror. Like you can't believe that you had that in you, right? And and we and so I think. Once I've done the mental gymnastics of pretending that Daenerys really did have the exposition to get her to this place, I also felt a sense of devastation for her um, because all of, all of that work and, and to a certain extent, all of this like journey that she went through to lead her here is devastating. So I don't. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a grand statement now. Say, and then when there's like there's. And when there's like a prequel or a sequel or Arya's fun time, happy hour, extravaganza, variety show, whatever they do, I and we can come back and you can chastise me. I'm never going to get over this Daenerys thing. I fell in love with that character so much. I was always Team Danny. And if this is what they do in the books, although I don't think that that's what's going to happen, I needed it more in the books to... I'm gonna. I just. That's what I'm gonna turn to now when I think of her and this character mind because I'm. I'm really viscerally upset with how these people have just destroyed her. I may be able to bring you some peace um, when we get um, to some other parts of this because I've done a lot of like done a lot of soul searching this week. Um, I've done a lot of soul searching and. I think there's a counter narrative to talk about. Um, I actually might write about it on Engage Gaze, so I might actually do a separate thing to kind of flesh out this thought. But bear with me as we go through the episode. We, I may be able to give you a little bit of a balm to your heart in regards to the Daenerys narrative that I believe is true. So, okay, so back to Tyrion. Tyrion asks John. He doesn't ask John. He tells John he needs to go it alone for a mi- minute, and we know where he's going, right? Like. He's going to check on Jamie and Cersei to, I don't think he thought they were alive. I think he needed for himself to see that he had sent them to their deaths. And like, not that Daenerys was not going to kill them, but effectively he sent them, meta- not, not, not metaphorically, he literally sent them to the place where they died, right? Um, so I, I felt strongly that Tying to tying the Lannister narrative up in a final, like very mournful goodbye was was very important to the heart of the storytelling that George R. R. Martin is doing. Fundamentally, like 
the lone we the Starks have it best, right? Like the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Um, like Tyrion is the lone wolf, right? And and to and to to see him with his family say goodbye, mourning, but to also see the ramifications of like his actions, right? Like very real ramifications. Like not that it's not real out on the streets of King's Landing, but like when he finds. Um, when he finds Jamie's like gold hand and starts digging and you get that shot of him looking at his sister and his brother and just that wail that kind of comes out of him. Um, that is how you close. Like we all felt like we didn't get it. Close very, the chapter. Yeah, exactly. That is how you close it. And so I was very, I was very happy that like, I, at first people were like, why do we need to see Tyrion? I'm like, because we need to close a chapter on three siblings that we have had a relationship with for five books right like eight seasons who at the end of the day Cersei couldn't bring herself to kill Tyrion there was however fucked up it was that trio loved each other in a very real way so I don't know if you feel the same way but for me I do too it was a like we said the first part of this episode I mean this whole thing this whole episode gave me like return of the king vibes like in every way in which the screen faded to black I mean the end scene I mean all this stuff right and um the scene with Tyrion Jamie, and Cersei was stunning it was beautiful I mean he's gonna win an Emmy just for that alone I mean it finally showed that these siblings no matter what mistake or fault of their own they found each other in the end. I don't know. I'm trying to find a larger meaning to it. But um, I think Tyrion was really happy that Jamie died with Cersei and Cersei died with Jamie. No matter how much he hated her for what he did, he could never he could never bring himself to do that. He could never bring himself to kill her. Um, right. It's kind of like that thing between siblings where it's like, I'll fuck with you, but I don't let anyone else fuck with you. Yeah. For Lannisters, they take it a little more seriously, but like fundamentally they did protect each other um and when you're talking about symbolism like when Tyrion's walking through the red keep and he walks into that root that courtyard where the the map is the map is cracked in half right so like that is foreshadowing of the fact that westeros is no longer what we know it to be right um which i think is is really interesting and then also the lannister theme plays throughout that entire scene um Ramin Jawadi is honest to God, like one of the most amazing composers out there. When you think of the mu- the like iconic music that has come out of Game of Thrones, right? Um, it's just it it's so recognizable. So it was it was just de- it was so devastatingly haunting to have that final play of like the Lannister theme over this shot. It was just beautiful. It was stunning. So as this is going on, John and Davos run into Grey Worm. Um, you mean war criminal Grey Worm? Right. I think Grey Worm is actually the biggest problem this entire episode has, um, which much more in Act Two of the episode. But so yeah, so Grey Worm's gone full criminal. I mean, he's like executing. I just hate the whole character of Grey Worm in this whole episode. I, I don't think they did him justice. I think that I, I'm just not happy with how they No, no, I, like a complete destruction of like character and like, um, but at least in this first act, it's consistent. So he's, he's about to execute prisoners who have surrendered. 
uh, John tries to intervene because he's like, um, they've surrendered. They're prisoners of war. Grey Worm is like, I only do what my queen says. And she says anyone who sides with Cersei is kaput, right? And like, John is about to literally pull a net and be like, you can't do that. And like Davos pulls him back and Davos is like, let's just go talk to the queen. Because I think Davos recognizes in that moment that the Grey Worm that they knew was no longer there, right? Like this Grey Worm is bloodthirsty. He is out to avenge Missande, but in, in a way that is no longer reminiscent of Grey Worm, right? Or of the Daenerys that he followed. Um, but I will, I, will, I will accept that apparently he's following orders. I, I just, I, I, I think you're right, but I think it just further emphasized like fuckboy Jon Snow, like just not doing anything anymore. It's, I, I have some problems with the characters, but Grey Worm, yeah, just not here. So Grey Worm for me, we'll go into it, um, but I agree, it, it, this was a writing problem. Um, so we transition over to Arya and she's walking around in, in destroyed King's Landing. And this is a, with a concussion with a concussion. This is a continuity problem. So episode five ends on this really kind of symbolic image of her getting onto this white horse that shows up and white horses have a ton of symbolism and fantasy lit. Um, so Gandalf, right. I'm like, where's the fucking white horse? Like, why did you have her ride a fucking white horse at the end of episode five? If right here, it's like, she never had it and it didn't mean anything. And you're going to hear me repeat this throughout this entire episode. It didn't mean anything. Um, but yeah, so she's walking around concussed. Um, the Dothraki are chilling. Uh, and it's confusing because I'm not particularly sure what Daenerys plans on doing with the Dothraki um, <laughs> or the Unsullied at this point. I mean, she's about to let us know. Because, but... Um, but King's Landing does not make sense for a group of people who live in open plains, right? It's, and, like, the idea that they'll be domesticated is so disgusting and racist that, like, I can't touch it. Like, I can't. I, I, I honest to God, that is the suggestion here, and I can't. Um, and then the Unsullied can't have children. So you've destroyed the entire population of King's Landing for what? The Dothraki, you're not domesticating the fucking Dothraki so that they live in King's Landing. And the Unsullied have useless peepers. So I, I, I don't know. Um, but I will yeah. say it's a beautiful scene. The Targaryen banner. What did it remind It reminded me of Star Wars. It did. That black and gray. Totally Kylo like Ren. the... Yes. I was like, Kylo Ren in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it was very empire-ish. It was like, oh, it, it's also very Nazi-ish. Um, again, those are always like visual cues to an audience, right? Um, if, you, if you think about it, um, it's kind of that Anakin Skywalker moment, right? Of like putting on the armor, like uh, everything's gone to black. If you think of Cersei when she went full, I mean, full evil, she started wearing black like armor. Sansa, when she got her full agency black armor, I have issues with equating their black armor with evil because it's all women, but like the show has done a very good job of showing the second women have asserted themselves, they go into black bondage leather. I don't know why. Um, but this, so John, so John, Ari is watching, John is climbing up this eternal 
ledge of stairs <laughs> to find Daenerys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then him and, and Grey Worm make eye contact, and it is ugly. But, this, but we need to talk about the scene of the most beautiful shot while he's climbing up the stairs, the long walk. It's the shot of Daenerys? Yeah, because like Grey Worm, like, bye girl, like, you're dead to me. Like, not dead to me, like, I loved your character in the other episodes, and I they appreciate it. They killed you. They killed you. Like, I don't hate you. I appreciate you. I actually think in the books you die probably a lot sooner than they actually had no, you live here. <laughs> like, you know, congratulations, whatever. Let's get to the moneymaker. Right. Absolutely. The most stunning shot is John's first lays eyes on Danny um, after the, what are we going to call this? Like the destruction of King's Landing, the sack of King's Landing, the fall of Rome. I don't know. Um, all of it. All of it. The first thing you, he sees is, is the silhouette of Danny coming at him, but then Drogon from behind spreads his wings. And it, it's like, it's like a literal shot of her becoming the dragon. It is so beautiful. It is it's such a beautiful, beautiful shot. I love it so much. I mean, I could watch it forever. I mean, it just shows you. I mean, here's the thing. The darkness, the gray, everything that it depicts, like the dragon as like a, a machine of war, it depicts where she's at as a character. Like she is this fully fledged dragon she is everything her ancestors were she burned it down just like them and this is this is what she has done and has conquered and this is who danny is now she is the dragon i do feel like that was a moment of embodiment i agree with you and also like a nod to her ancestry not that we don't know she's a targaryen but that like i'm here motherfuckers like just just a beautiful shot again kind of an anakin moment and anakin skywalker putting on his um his darth vader helmet um and then she gives her speech (laughs) Ooh, her speech um the speech surprised me but the speech was very smart for those folks who were like I don't fucking get how you get from Daenerys, breaker of chains, to this person. Warlord. Right. War criminal 101. Um, This speech is very important. So this speech um, harkens back to the promises, the promises called Drogo made to Daenerys. Um, I think it was when he finds out that she's pregnant. Um, And pregnancy is important because it comes up later. Um, so he sa- Daenerys says to the Dothraki, speaking in Dothraki, which I think is important as well, um, you have killed your enemies in their iron suits. You tore down their houses. You gave me the seven kingdoms. Um, uh, and then she, she continues. And because there's a part of you that says, you know, she had said this is the last war. And then she's like, we will not stop. We are going to liberate everyone from Winterfell to Essos. We will spread the liberation everywhere. No slaves everywhere. So it's like, oh. And, and Tyrion has walked in at the, by this time. And he hears her saying, like, but we will not stop. Like, we, like, we have broken the wheel, but we will free everyone. She's going to go west of Westeros to free everyone. But I think it's important to note that Winterfell was in there because... That is clearly her rage at Sansa. Um, 
so so this is the snapshot that people need to understand why the writers think that Daenerys could justify the destruction of King's Landing. And I and I know for you, there's no version of Danny that justifies the destruction of King's Landing. There's of the, the of the Danny they gave us that that the show has given us. Yeah, I think we get a couple speeches in this episode that explain it. This is the first one. There, it's I I would say there's a three-headed dragon approach to explaining Danny in this episode. This first one is that Danny views what she did as essentially liberation work and that liberation work is messy. And there is historical precedence for this, right? Um, when you look at mo- like civil, civil justice movements for liberation, none of them do not come with a very high blood cost, right? And um, you know, oppressors do not give away power for free. Um, and we, we have long admired efforts by groups that have resisted oppressive regimes that sometimes end in bloody massacres because that's what was needed to liberate. We look at civil wars often and like, you know, people, some, people sometimes have to die for liberation to happen. That, so I think in her head, and she says this to Tyrion, um, Cersei was using the people in King's Landing as a shield, thinking that Daenerys was not willing to sacrifice her purity, her pure heart, for the greater good. We're about to get into Dumbledore territory, right? Oh boy, here we go. We're going to do a lot of Dumbledore territory here. So, um, when Tyrion walks up to her, right, (laughs) which, by the way, Grey Worm sucks at his job. Everyone can just kind of like come up to stab her. I thought he was. I thought well, Tyrion I mean, was. No one's him. doing their. They're very present army, but they're not particularly good at stopping people from just showing up near Daenerys. But Daenerys, Tyrion comes up to Daenerys um, after she gave the speech about liberating the entire world, right? And um, he he looks out at the crowd cheering, right? Um, and and the Dothraki and the Unsullied. And then she looks down at him. He hasn't said anything yet. And she accuses him of freeing Jamie and of, of, doing, of being treasonous. And Tyrion says to her, yes, I freed my brother and you slaughtered a city. So we see a tiny crack in Daenerys's face. This is important, John, because have you ever, like... I'm trying to see how I explain those. Have you ever told yourself a lie so much you believe it, but the second someone like even remotely questions it, it's like you can feel the lie kind of like crumbling. Like I'm trying to find an example. Walking in this image of who she is for the last couple of episodes, and he was finally showed hearing the word slaughtered. She wasn't prepared for that. He Mentally, her once he heard the once you hear the bells, stop. Right. Right. But the thing is, mentally, she cannot wrap her head around the word slaughtered. She keeps telling herself liberated, 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 liberated. 
And the second Tyrion says, you slaughtered a city. I freed my brother and you slaughtered a city. Daenerys' entire veneer for a millisecond, the acting that um, Amelia Clark does right here is some of the best she's done ever. That's that millisecond where she processes that this person that she admires, that she considers wise in front of her is literally saying, you slaughtered a city. She can't handle it. And so he throws that hand of the king pin off, right? And she's just like, take him away. Like, which in retrospect to me seems like very kind of a silly exposition decision. The Daenerys that we have in this episode should have just slaughtered him on the spot. She has no problem doing that. Um, doesn't particularly make sense that she was like, let's put him in a room. Um, but it does with the shitty writing that happens throughout this entire episode. Um, but I think it's important to think of Danny as a stunted child who has believed a narrative about herself so fully, who has seen magical things happen to support said narrative, that I think we can say she is both the mad queen, but also righteous. And, and that is, is really difficult to have in heroes. And that is the heart of George R. R. Martin's writing. His villains are not black and white. She, like Daenerys. That, and that's the hardest thing about Danny is that like, okay, so let's say he does take this character down this route he's going road and he's going to, and I know that I, it's, and if you're going to do that, I'm, I will get behind, I will be okay with it in the ways in which at least the work is there. Like in Breaking Bad, Walter White became whatever his name was when he went full on drug dealer, but he became that through brilliant, brilliant seasons of writing. I mean, all these shows that discuss the anti-hero, they become this for a reason, and, but it's there. It's not there in the show of what they gave us. I, I can't come up with like a very like very good real life examples of of both madness and righteousness um, at this moment. But like something that comes to mind for me is um, we I had this when I was in high school. We had this um, he was a, a a military vet who liberated um, an entire city. Um, in, in post uh, uh, post Nazi Germany, right? And he was telling us this story that um, they they reached this this car of a train um, that was very close to these houses that where these people lived. And when they opened up the train, they could they could smell the 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 decay, right? And when they opened up this train, the bodies just fell. And he said that the bodies on top were the children. So like the people inside had put the children at the top closest to the air vents. And he, this old man looked at us and he, he started like repeating it over and over again, tears in his eyes. He was like 90 something years old. He said, every person in that town heard these people dying for a week and no one did every, anything. No one did anything. And like this old man's like telling us, I'm like 14, 15 when he's telling us the story. He goes, I just, I just like shot people. This vet, this guy's literally telling us he did war crimes. He's like, I was so angry when I figured out what had happened. I just shot townspeople. And he was like removed from the assembly at my high school. <laughs> um, 
but that is the closest example I can come to of what I would call righteous madness, which is, it is very hard to sometimes hold two truths in your hands, which is that there is a reason to be righteously angry and take action while simultaneously acting out of madness. Um, and I think we, like, there, if, as a woman who loves the character of Daenerys, there is a part of me in a world that is set up to hurt me and to oppress me, there is a part of me that I think is different for male readers and viewers where I will always to a certain extent in a tiny part of my heart understand where Daenerys is coming from. Because there's a part I of me that says... Best, <laughs> the best I, meme. Yeah, Dracarys, all of it. You want to put me in Handmaid's outfits? Dracarys. Like, you want to take my rights away? Dracarys. You want to, like, shoot Black children at parks? Dracarys. Like, the thing is, like, does that offer you, like, a tiny balm in the sense of, like, I think George R. R. Martin is doing something that's very difficult, which is asking us to realize that this person does live in all of us. I mean, the best meme, and I hear it, as a person who works with the public, I, I understand why Danny did what she did. <laughs> right. So I'm not excusing war crimes. Um, I'm just saying that... George R. R. Martin has said he wanted to literally break the wheel of how fantasy is written, how heroes and villains are written, and I think this is it. Um, okay, so they take away Tyrion. John is watching this all happen, but he's still real quiet. Um, Arya pops up. Again, these soldiers don't stop anyone from doing shit. So Arya just pops up right next to John, and um, she says to, to him, like, I was here to kill Cersei, but your queen got to her first. And John's like, I hate John in this episode. John, these whole this whole season sucks. Well, no, John just sucks, and that's okay. I think we just, I think the the showrunners think that he is a much bigger deal than he turned out to be. Like he, like he's fundamentally just like a dude who stumbled around Westeros for an entire, you know, eight seasons. Um, well, the thing is, is like this show we have so many problems with because all the stuff that was prophesized about John mean nothing. And right. we'll get there. We'll get and there. That's when it's like, what the hell? What is going on? This show makes no sense. The writing's horrible, blah, blah, blah. Well, and here's the thing. John, at least Ned Stark knew not to, I think, I think John is doing something similar to Danny. He's telling himself the lie because the second he undoes it, he has to undo it. So he's like, she's our queen. Uh, we'll have to accept her as our queen. Arya's like, uh, Sansa's not going to accept her as a queen. Um, which is a weird thing because I think Arya should have said, I don't accept her as a queen. Like, I don't like the fact that it deferred to Sansa. Because I think Arya would have said, um, that's not my fucking queen. Right? So I thought that was weird. But then Arya goes, John, you will always be a threat to Daenerys because of who you are. And I know a killer when I see one. And John's face is so dejected because similar to Danny, he is trying to convince himself everything's going to be fine and everything is not fine, dude. Like red flags everywhere, like everywhere, everywhere. And <laughs> then we have John going to see Tyrion in his cell because that's a thing that that should like. <sighs> 
I understand that like John needs to have a heart to heart with Tyrion, but from a logistical perspective, this makes no sense. So the guards are like, yeah, let's let the traitor talk to the other dude who's kind of like a traitor too and have a heart to heart in private. Like, John. Like, come on. Uh, Tyrion I mean, does some kick ass acting in this episode, though. This is, again, like, Tyrion, uh, Peter Dinklage, you deserve an Emmy. And, like, and I, look, if you were in a cell, John, I would do everything I needed to do to get to you so we could have a heart to heart. But I would at least think the guards would be like, yeah, no, like, you're not talking to him right now. But no, John just walks in. Like, like totally normal. No Grey Worm, no Unsullied, no witness to this conversation, which just doesn't make any sense. Also, like, if you were, like, full-on warlord Danny, wouldn't you be like, yeah, lock him up? That's what I'm saying. Like, it makes no... I, I understand that the writers need to have this conversation, but, like, none of the, like, military uh, protection decisions in this episode make any sense. Um, so Tyrion obviously asks for wine because Tyrion's Tyrion. And, you know... John's Tyrion like, has not changed this whole series. I mean, he's changed, obviously. It's like a character develop, but, like, you still get those flashbacks about why he's one of the best characters. Agreed. I think Tyrion has kind of remained himself throughout the series, which is which is nice, right? Um, John's like, sorry, dude, all I've got is, like, barefoot Moscato, and, like, Tyrion's like, I'd rather die. Um, but Tyrion has a come to... What would it be? The Seven Sisters, seven. or... The seven. <laughs> to, by, he has like come to the old gods in the new moment, realizing there's some irony that he um he betrayed his friend, his best. He calls Varys his best friend, which I was like, really? Um, that he betrayed. I his would best never burn you. A, I would. Ne well, I would. Never mind. John. <laughs> we both identified as Varys. No, Marcy. Wait, I would never let Drogon burn you alive. Drogon would never burn me because he'd recognize the dragon in me. But thanks. Um, <laughs> so Tyrion has that moment of like, you know, I kind of deserve this. I did it to Varys, right? And then he looks at John and he's like, "Wait, you're you're like the only dude who's ever come back from the dead. Like, what is it like?" And John says, "There was nothing. It was oblivion." And um, and Tyrion says that that brings him peace. Um, do you did you ever read The Fault in Our Stars or watch that movie? Yes. Do you remember how, like, one of the biggest fights Hazel and Augustus have is over if death is oblivion? Because Augustus is very afraid of dying because that means he, he it, there's nothing there. Oblivion, like, he won't be remembered, and that tortures him. Whereas Hazel's like, I'll remember you, and that's enough. Um, it was interesting to me that to Tyrion, similar to Hazel, like, Oblivion brings a sense of peace. Like, okay, I can handle that. Um, and so he then looks at John and, and puts his big boy pants on and says, all right, well, I chose my fate. I'm going to die. Uh, but the people of King's Landing did not. And then walk me through John's conversation because it's just literally John in denial. Oh. <sighs> He's like, in, he's like, the war's over. Uh, I mean, I can't justify it, but the war is over. <laughs> I mean, like, so John is up there talking to Tyrion, and I mean, everything, like everything Tyrion says, he's like, no, 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 no. all right, like we'll fix this, like, and 
And Tyrion, I think, gets that John is having that that lie moment with himself, right? Like Tyrion's like, dude, stop it! Like she's gonna keep going. She's she's not going to stop. The she's not gonna stop going to war over this. She's so remember how I said there was like a three headed dragon that helps us to understand Daenerys better. This is the second part. So Tyrion says she's convinced she is a liberator. When she liberated Slaver's Bay, everyone applauded. When she crucified the masters in Marine, everyone applauded. All right. So remember me saying that there's like this three prong approach to how we understand Daenerys. So Tyrion looks at John and says, look, she is convinced that her calling in life is she is the liberator of people, you know, in Slaver's Bay, um, you know, she was applauded for what she did. In Marine, when she crucified the monsters, she was applauded for what she did. And technically, I mean, she burned everyone that wasn't going to applaud, but the Dothraki and the Unsullied are applauding in King's Landing, right? And, and so the, he's, he's saying, like, she cannot escape the, the stories that she has told herself about herself, right? Um, and Tyrion admits that he was wrong. He says it was vanity to think that I could change her. And I was like, boo, we've all been there in relationships where we're like, I love you. You can't change people. (laughs) You can't. People aren't projects. Boyfriends and girlfriends are not projects. (laughs) um, But then what he brings up is, you know, fundamentally Daenerys is fire and blood. And this like totally tears up John because John's like, so what is, is that emblazoned on us? Like we're, we're like destined to become like what our parents have been. And like for John in his head, he's like, I'm half Targaryen. Like, is that half of who I am? Right. And we talked about this last week, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's, I mean, he's having this whole discussion of the show. Like he's having a whole crisis on what really goes on with who he is because like, first of all, the writing, this is weird because he's supposed to be this big old figure heir to the iron throne and none of that matters anymore. And then there's Danny who's like the real blazing dragon right now. And then there's Tyrion and it's like all this, like we are not who we're destined to become, but it's like, uh, that's what you're selling here, buddy. Well, and I think what Tyrion is saying is not that she became who she became because of where she came from, but that she chose to become it, right? So like um, Tyrion says, you know, my, my father was an evil man. My sister was an evil woman. And then he even says, look, I choked my dad to death. I killed Shay. Like we make decisions. He goes, but even if you rack up all the bodies of everyone the Lannisters have killed, it's not half of what she just did in one night, right? And like, and and like Tyrion reminds John, like the bells had rang. Like he keeps like he's like, yo, do you guys remember the bell conversation? The bell is surrender. We had had the talk. Like, and I think this is important because like the, the I love that the last episode was titled The Bells, but like n- non-negotiable lines that are crossed, right? For Tyrion, the non-negotiable line, if the bells had not rung. Tyrion would be struggling with what had happened, but he would understand that the city had never surrendered. But to Tyrion, that is the uncrossable line, right? Like, 
and and John is still in La La Land. He goes, well, she's still really upset about Masande. And um. And then Tyrion asks John, okay, well, would you have done it? You've ridden on a dragon. You've had that power in your hands. If you had heard the bells, would you have burned everything down? Right? And John can't even look him in the face. Like, he can't, it's so heartbreaking. Because, look, John, you've been there, I've been there. We've loved the wrong people, right? <laughs> yes. We have loved the wrong people, and we have maybe defended the people that we loved wrongly for longer than we should have, right? But yes. there is always a moment, I think, when your best friend who knows that you are in love with the wrong person and, like, you need to... There's always the moment where you're, the person you love, your, your go-to, says the right thing and you crumble, right? Like whatever, it, whatever that trigger is that like you need to hear to be like, you're right, I'm in love with a piece of shit, right? Tyrion asking John, if you've been on a dragon, dude, you've had ultimate power. I keep thinking of the genie. Is it the genie in Aladdin who's like, ultimate cosmic power? Yes. <laughs> right? He's like, you wouldn't have done it. You, wouldn't. you would not have done it, yeah. Right, like Tyrion answers it for John. He goes, I, I, the reason you can't even look at me is because you know you wouldn't have done it, right? And that is the moment that seals Daenerys's fate. Everyone I think is gonna say that it's the moment that he goes, that Tyrion goes, are your sisters safe? I don't think it is, I think it's this moment. I think the, the extra push was like, your sisters are unsafe. But this is a moment we all know, having loved the wrong people, we all know there's a moment where the, like, the line of what is acceptable is pointed out by someone and we can't pretend that that line is not there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and Tyrion says, you're blinded by love, as was I. <laughs> John, I felt such a sense of like righteousness when Tyrion admits that he was also blinded by love for Daenerys. You owe, me like a real, right? you owe me like a super bougie dinner. First of all, I don't think he loved her in that way. He said he, he wasn't successful at it. <laughs> we'll go have these. We'll go have these. Okay, I, I, we can do that. We can do that. But I... <laughs> I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, love blinded them because they did not see Daenerys for who she was, but they were completely blinded based off of you know they wanted to believe in her so much well and i will give these two male characters credit it wasn't just like sexual attraction i think they fundamentally loved her um and i've had this i had this conversation with someone this week that sometimes for years we love echoes of people that we loved that no longer exist in their present form so like um let's say like you have an ex-boyfriend who at the time was like the kindest like best dude ever you guys have a breakup right but you spent years together 10 years later this person is not the same person that you loved 10 years ago so what you love is the echoes of them the, the like ghost of them right and i think to a certain extent 
the, he, in this moment, both John and Tyrion are acknowledging that the woman that they loved is gone. She's, yeah, she, she's gone. Like The woman we all loved is gone. But also, and this is where I'm going to challenge you, that they maybe didn't understand her as well as they thought. Yeah. Because we, we just said it, people don't change, right? Um, certain parts of us kind of fluctuate in and out, but like this, the part of Daenerys that was always willing to do things for the greater good, that part was always there. It's just, they, they turned a bit of a blind eye to it. Um, so, so Tyrion, like I said, he said, you know, with the slavers of Astapor, the Miranese nobles crucified, the calls burned alive, like everywhere people have cheered her on and convinced her that she's good and right. And she believes it's her destiny to build this world. And like, we believed in that world with her um, until this moment. Tyrion says, until right now. Because John's like, well, you were advising her, right? Because John is still like questioning every single thing that, that Tyrion says. And like that moment reminded me a bit of that Martin, um, how do you say it? Nymoller poem. Like first they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came from the trade unionists and they came for the Jews. I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak. I think this is an actual moment in the show where they're alluding to that poem and saying the problem was that everyone was clapping because it wasn't them, right? And, and that Tyrion feels a sense of shame that it took him till King's Landing to see that some of Daenerys' decisions were cruel and unjustifiable, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it took him to the last hour to really see it. Well, remember when she barbecued the Tarleys, Tyrion was like, the fuck? Like, he's like, no, don't do it. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right? And even when you think all the way back to Marine with the crucifix, uh, crucifixion of the slave um, owners, her advisors were like, I don't think this is a good idea. And she was like, I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> and, um, and so, again, we can turn a blind eye to the facets of people we love because we're blinded by love, which leads to the most beautiful conversation um, between Tyrion and John, this love versus duty conversation. Because Tyrion admits that he wanted to believe in, in, in Daenerys and her mission with all of his heart, but that unfortunately love is way more powerful than reason and that's why he failed. Like his love for overpowered reason which is, explains why he just throws Varys in front of a dragon. And love uh, is the death of duty. Right, John, John says that, and, and Tyrion's like, that's beautiful, did you write that? And, um, and John's like, no, Maester Aemon uh, said it to him, which is such a sad thing, because if you remember Maester Aemon, he was Aemon Targaryen, who had gone to the wall to, become, to take the black, then hears of... Daenerys's father being murdered, her brother being murdered, and um, and he stays at the wall because his duty was at the wall and reminds John in season two that even though his his father's been killed and his brother has been killed, like he needs to stay at the wall, or not his brother hadn't been killed yet. Um, it's sad that Maester Aemon, who has a connection to Daenerys, is the one who says uh, love is the death of duty and then Tyrion turns it around and says sometimes death 
or sometimes duty is the death of love. And then he looks John in the face in the most dramatic drag queen moment I have seen in this entire show. And he starts reciting the vows of the, uh, the Night's Watch. He goes, you are the shields that guard the realms of men. You try to do the right thing no matter what the cost and who is the greatest threat to the people now. Like, but when he's like, you are the shields that guards the, guard the realms of men, I was like, oh, oh well played. It was beautifully dramatic. Do you I think Tyrion's that. manipulating all these people? I think Tyrion is still playing the game. Mm-hmm. But I think part of what we're supposed to get from this is that we all are. At all times. There's, there's, no off the, there's no off the wheel. Right, because I mean, like, that is such a strategic thing to say. To remind him that fundamentally, even though you're a lapsed, lapsed Catholic priest who's now slept with two women, you still took vows, dude. <laughs> and your vows were to guard the realms of men. And the realms of men are in danger because of the woman you love, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, it is a terrible thing I'm asking you to do, but it is also the right thing. And sometimes we must do awful things for the greater good. And all I can think of is what would Dumbledore say right now? Oh, well, oh then Dumbledore. I, then I think of Crimes of Grindelwald and I'm like, fuck this year. Fuck this year. <laughs> fuck this year for fucking up every fandom I love. Um, even with this super dramatic speech, John says, I can't do it, man. She's my queen. But just as he's about to walk out, he's like, your sister. <laughs> Tyrion's like, wait. And I think it's an interesting kind of like tack on at the end of like, well, she's going to kill your sisters, dude. Because yeah. it's true. It's true. They're like. They're, they're, they're goners if this, if this keeps happening. Right. Right. Because John's like, they'll be loyal. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Are we talking about Sansa and, and Arya? Because they're not. No. They're not going to be loyal. And like Tyrion, as John's walking out, you know, with no guards coming in or out anywhere, he's like, you got to choose no, no, no. And um, yeah. It's really, um, it's a, these, these scenes are so well crafted. They're beautiful. Well organized. I feel weird saying that. Again, I think my brother's going to be shocked because I was like, fuck this episode. Um, but this first act, we're almost act, we're almost at the end of the first act. This first act is is stupendous. Um, okay, so John walks uh, unattended, no guards anywhere, to the throne to find an unattended Daenerys because that makes complete sense. I don't know, <laughs> Grey Worms off killing everyone. right. Grey Worms right. off doing the duty right. And so, here we are. I'm like, Grey Worms like the worst bodyguard I've ever he just doesn't show up at all like at all um so drogon is guarding the entrance of the iron throne um and he kind of like sniffs john and 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 recognizes him and i don't know if he if that means he recognizes john as john is daenerys's friend or recognizes john as oh he has the blood of dragons right um, not that it matters because him being a Targaryen literally doesn't mean anything to the show, which is really problematic, but either way, Drogon's like, yeah, go ahead, pass. Um, so I guess Drogon was Daenerys's security system. I don't, I don't know. So Danny's in the throne room 
and this is like an exact um snapshot of the vision she had in the house of the undying exactly i mean this whole i was waiting for it and they delivered this whole scene uh okay hey quick question do you think drogon knew what john was going to do i've actually thought about this a lot (laughs) way more than a normal person should um no i don't think he knew what he was going to do i think he knows what he did once he does it and makes a conscious decision not to kill him and we'll we'll get to that yeah yeah so so yeah you were waiting for the scene uh going all the way back to was it astapor where the house of oh yeah when she's in the house of the undying and you finally get this scene and you see it and you're like there it is here it is and then and if and there was a screenshot on twitter that showed in the house of astapor she was just um almost touching the um the throne when she heard um the cry of her dragons and it kept her going because she could have got stuck there so she doesn't touch the throne because she hears the dragons right like and now she's finally there her motherhood saves her technically from the throne is how i'm reading that the loss of her children allows for a version of daenerys that touches the throne yep and and then she finally touches it right and she loses Uh, everything literally everything (laughs) Um, so John enters, no one's watching. He's like, what's up? Um, and we have this like kind of, I know this feeling. So Daenerys is, is what Brent's family would call nervous in her purvis talking. Like, you know, like when you're like, you fucked up, but you're trying to be like super cool about it. So you're like, yo, you look great. And you look awesome. Like such a fun night. Oh my God. What are we doing? It's cause you, and cause you know, you fucked up somewhere and you're like overcompensating. Like she has this like super like saccharine smile and she's like, you know, my brother used to tell me, and this is a nod to George R. R. Martin's description of the throne in the books. The throne's like thousands of swords, and it's like a it's huge. It's if like you remember panel. some of the images, yeah, right. And so this is, I think, like a cute little wink at the audience that they know that the throne doesn't look the way it does in the books, right? Because she's like, I, you know, how does a, a little girl even process that it's made out of, you know, twenty swords or a thousand swords? Like I couldn't even count to that. Um, and she's just being kind of sweet and flirty and like trying to like extend an olive branch, right? We've done that. We've all done that with our significant others where we're like, let's see how bad this fight really is, right? And it's like, exactly. let, me, let me test it out. And, you're, and then you get burned and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> I really thought maybe if I like complimented something, we could just kind of glide over what I did. Um, no, no can do though, right? Because John interrupts her and says, dude, are those executions that Grey Worm's doing? Like, are, are those on your watch? Like, that's okay, right? And she kind of gives some random answer and he's, and he's like, there are burned children on the streets. Like, John's kind of falling apart. Um, and I think, I think the, I think Tyrion landed what he needed to land because John literally can't play along anymore. Exactly. Unlike Danny, who was able to kind of jump over Tyrion's you slaughtered a city comment and go back to her lie, John can't do it anymore, which is why he's like, there are burned children. And like Danny's like, which is true. She's like, Cersei used her people thinking it would cripple me and I didn't let it. You know, there's a high cost to war. And then John, I don't. I don't think John expected this to work, but I wonder if this was almost like an exercise in him saying everything he needed to say. Cause he's like, please, like 
You have to forgive Tyrion. You have to explain to everyone, make everyone understand that this was like a one-time thing, beg for forgiveness. And when he's doing this, he keeps calling her Danny, which is like super intimate, right? Because he's when he's like upset, he's like my queen, right? And then when he's like intimate, he's like Danny. Um, I want Brent to when he's upset with me to call me my queen. I would totally be down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you listening? I Brent? just I just <laughs> knew that he was going to kill her, and I. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, you know, and he's such he, a stupid fuck boy in this whole season. It makes me so mad. Like if, ugh. well, and I think like the fact those final moments of begging her to like fix it, like she can't fix it, and he th- that pleading is just desperation as he is processing what he's about to do, right? And then Danny, here's the three, the third prong to this approach to Danny that I think we all needed to have to better understand her she looks at him and she's like you can't imagine the world we were going to build because it's never been done before but we're going to do it together like and it's going to be a beautiful world and like um there's a part of me where my heart breaks because again i understand this fundamentally as a social justice warrior, as someone who does like liberation and justice work as her life's work, right? Um, I understand what it means to believe that there are ways of existing and systems of living that we have never tried that would give us justice and not oppression, right? I believe that you can smash the wheel of patriarchy and of white supremacy and that there's a, a and of male supremacy i like i just don't know what it looks like because it's never been done and i also know that if to do it there's going to be a heavy price that generations will pay for to just to destroy these systems of oppression that have existed for so long john you are you are a raging feminist you are a queer man you understand i understand as a woman like i understand the longing for that world I understand how it could be so fucking attractive to think like it could, we could deconstruct it all, right? So when Daenerys is saying this, I truly think she really believes she is building that world, right? And like- I do too. And that's the thing is I think that the scene where she's like, I couldn't count to 20 and you were a bastard boy who didn't know his background. I mean, like, but this, this, is the, this is the moment where I'm trying to give you back Daenerys. Daenerys yeah. is a casualty of how difficult it is going to be deconstructing a world built on white male cisgendered supremacy. Exactly. And so for me, this is a bold statement. Daenerys goes down as a patron saint of liberation work. Oh. Because the costs are going to be so high and we will not do it without some of us falling prey to the cycle itself. Her death in particular is an important milestone in the movement towards deconstructing the systems of oppression. 
So I view her simultaneously as a victim of the system, like power corrupts, right? And then to play the game, you need to gain power. And she came so close. And at the end of the day, it did corrupt her, but she was fighting in that entire time to end these systems. And just because she is not the perfect hero we needed at the end, doesn't mean that this was not a woman who dedicated her entire fucking life. Like, and again, we're talking about a, a mythical character, but I'm also talking on grander, grander symbolism for those of us who, you know, these stories are, are, are symbolic of life. Like, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay. Like, I am okay with the idea that some of us, in particular because I do justice liberation work as my job, I am very conscious of the fact that I am always susceptible to falling prey to the systems I am trying to break. And she felt prey to it, but it doesn't mean that like her vision was not important and that people will come after her who will continue to deconstruct and we, and like her story is still important. And I want to give that back to you and to anyone listening who's like, my fucking liberator breaker of chains is gone. Like, no, no. Like, not every, like, savior character is Jesus, right? Jesus is a problematic character anyway. Like, it is okay to have complicated liberators. And then John stabs her. <laughs> I know. In the heart. Yeah, right there. In you the heart. Drogon in the background. Again, no guards. <laughs> no, one's, no one's watching. No uh, one's watching. The, it's like, seriously? Right. Drogon uh, is devastated. We hear this like this cry of anguish, right? He comes over. He there's this is again beautiful, beautiful CGI work. He sniffs her like a dog. He like kind of like nudges her, realizes what has happened, and then fucking burns the Iron Throne down to nothing. Goodbye. He broke the wheel. Right, right. I, do I think that Drogon understood the nuances of the Iron Throne? No, but it's a great shot. But, um, like, do you think Danny's purpose was to bring magic back into the world and these dragons that served a larger purpose? And by finally getting there, yes, she died, but finally she broke the wheel so that it could be everything else could happen. I think everything about Daenerys was a step towards progress all the way up until the end. I think, yes, bringing magic back was important, but magic wasn't gone. We know that because, you know, Bran's warging off into ravens and the red woman, you know, can push out a devil baby out her regime. Like, um, but I think this moment in particular with Drogon d destroying the throne is, is kind of like similar to the closing of the chapter with, um, the Targaryens, this is a closing of the chapter of Daenerys's work. The, the Iron Throne is gone. And that was her goal, right? Like, her goal was, like, destroy the, like, destroy this wheel. Get out, like, it, in that moment, it's done. Yeah, it's gone. So he picks her up with his claw. Um, he flies away. Uh, t this, I think, is an interesting little, like, theory um, later on in the episode, someone asks, like, does anyone, has, a, has Drogon been spotted? And, like, Bran's like, I'll warg into a raven and figure it out. But Sam says, 
uh, last spotted going towards Volantis. Volantis is where the red priestesses are from and where like the fire god is from. And we know for a fact that their main like magic trick is they bring people back from the dead. So in my alternate like universe, Drogon is lovingly taking Daenerys back to Volantis where she will be brought back to life and she gets a new start to keep fighting. <laughs> here, here. For her life. There we go. Uh, so this is the end of Act One. And it would, would have been great if it was the end of the episode. Exactly. I, I, honest to God, think that this is where Jon's story should have ended. I think Drogon should have lit the fuck out of him because he's half um, Stark. I think he could have burned to death and it's done. Uh, everything from here on out, and we're going to move through the second act much quicker. Everything from here on out is nonsensical, like bullshit. Like, the, Get ready, the, folks. The reason I wanted to honor that first act so much is because it was just the more I think about it the more beautiful it is um it's just there's no way to go from that to what we're about to go through right you mean the crap crap this is bullshit I mean I, I think my brother and I just kept screaming like nonsensical bullshit we were like those like um who are the two muppets that like heckle everything do you know what I'm talking about oh yeah I don't remember their names but they're my soul sisters that was us yeah yeah I, I Dorothy Sporn act the entire way through the second act um so like 15 minutes later, um, actually, I think they actually said it was two weeks later. Um, Grey Worm. Th th this is where Grey Worm starts to fall apart. So the Grey Worm that was killing people on the street for no reason whatsoever, apparently, John, I can't even do it. Okay, so- Winter's over. Grey Worm is there. He's got a lot- uh... Tyrion has a really large beard, he, and he takes him out to the dragon pits. So we're meant to believe that Grey Worm finds Jon after Daenerys has been flown off to Volantis. Jon, like Jon, admits everything he did. Grey Worm doesn't kill him instantaneously, but puts him in a cell, then writes 12 ravens to the 12 lords of Westeros saying, you must all come and convene because we need to talk about what to do with these prisoners. That is nonsensical bullshit. Grey Worm would have slit the motherfucking throat of Jon or died trying, right? Tyrion would be dead. No, like, this is such... Ugh. Okay. Okay. So, the Dragon Pits. We have a full council of everyone from Westeros. Uh, I, fuck if I know like, why they're here. So, Tyrion is brought out. And Sansa's like, where's John? And Grey Worm says, it's our city now. We do what we want with our prisoners. Then why the I'm fuck the did you now. call this council? What the, what the fuck? Like, sorry, there's a, there's a lot of fuck right now. If Grey Worm's gonna be like, there are fucking prisoners, we do what we want, why did you call a council? Like, what? what? So Yara, uh, who you know I love, like, Yara's like, well, John deserves to die. He killed Daenerys and she's our liberator. And so I do want to give a nod to the fact that there are some people in Westeros who do view what Daenerys did as justifiable. Um, but then Arya's like, shut the fuck up or I'll kill you. Um, she basically has a bitch slap moment. She's like, oh, <laughs> right. And then Davos, who, you know, is our moral center, 
is like, everyone needs to get their shit together, okay? He looks at Grey Worm and he's, he offers the olive branch. He's like, thank you for everything you did up north. We wouldn't have survived the Night King without you. No thanks to Arya. Um, but we need to not be at war anymore. And Grey Worm goes, well, we need justice. And I'm like, I, I'm just, like, I'm baffled, John. Like, if Grey Worm's like, we need justice, you could have killed them. And it would have been just. Like, so for me, the problem is you've got a black character who is pretty much saying that he needs to wait for white people to show up to tell him what he needs to do. Like, like he can't do things of his own agency. And like that, like, not only is this writing shitty, it's really racist. Um, and I'm just gonna call it like I see it. Um <laughs> It makes no sense. Um, so Basically, everyone here makes a fool out of themselves. Here, I got you. I got you. You're well, going, no, they're like, we need you're going through some stuff, girl. You're it's going a lot. through some stuff. I got you. So, are you ready for some tea? Let's do it. Let's do it. Gray Rome's an asshole. Edmund Tully makes a fool of himself because he's a white dude. Sansa bitch slaps him and tells him to please sit the fuck down next yes. to the water bottle that just happens to be there because we spend millions of dollars on episodes and forget to take a water bottle out. <laughs> the Starks have like an overrepresentation at the table, which is tr- precisely why Bran wins the Electoral College of the Game of Seven Kingdoms, whatever it is, Robin Aaron is hot as Neville style. Talk final about movie. a Neville glow up, right? Exactly. Um, you know, Tyrion gives some bullshit about the best storytellers. Sam suggests, you know, because he's Sam, that we need a democracy. And even I laugh because right now in 2019, we're sitting there going, oh, okay. Um, power does not give up power, like, you know, and they make a big joke about it, but. We know we'll get there, and then you know people think that you know Tyrion wants the crown. He don't want it, okay, girl? Because let's be real, he's already a little haggardy, and he's been through some shit, and he don't want to see it, okay? But then he goes into this whole bullshit that stories are powerful, and no one knows better than that than Bran, Bran the motherfucking broken. By the way, horrible name. And then they all vote on Bran to become the king of the six kingdoms. Minus Sansa, who goes, who's full on feminist at this moment, going, <laughs> don't fucking think so, because guess what? I'm the fucking queen in this house, okay? So you and your creepy ass, whatever you are, can sit here in the six kingdoms and do whatever you want. I'm going back up to the north and I'm going to be treated like the queen I am because I really was in love with my brother and then I found out he wasn't my brother and then you're taking him from me and now he just sits there on the kingdom, and no one really else wants it, but here we all. All hail Bran the Broken. That was beautiful. You're welcome. Bran the Broken, the boy who lived. And let's I, get in I, ableism. I, that's the, like, Bran the Broken? Like, look, there, you could, Bran the Raven, Bran the Builder, uh, Bran the Boy whose eyes roll back when he's not paying attention. Bran the Broken? All right. Also, the idea that, that Tyrion's like the one like with the best story out of all of us is Bran. I'm like, not the girl who's literally defied death and can wear the faces of a gajillion men, or Sansa, who has lived a thousand lives at this point and still survived everything. But Bran, 
who without Mira Reed wouldn't have even made it up. I, like, sure. And she only got a thank you. Yeah, he barely thanked her. This That's because they had a better angle for the magicalness and John and Danny and all of this stuff, but they had to rush, bum rush this last season. Ugh, I'm so mad. So this is a perfect example of like a mediocre dude falling upward. <laughs> Failing upward as, as honorary pop culture theologian, uh, Kirsten Gertie said, white man fails upward. <laughs> My God. Well, apparently the actor who plays Bran when he read this laughed he thought he had been given a joke script and i think that says it all like it's not that we're being critical it is just that it's like a really stupid like decision like brand has no skills whatsoever to be put on that throne and i i do love the the nod of like the people who need power are the ones that don't want it but this kid did you ever watch minority report yes He's like a cog. He's not acting normal anymore. He's barely alive. Like, no, like, you know, like, he's told you he's barely human anymore. But then Bran's like, yeah, I'll do it. That's why I'm here, bro. I'm like, no, no, like, no, no. I no, always no. was going to get this. Oh, okay, Bran. Right, right. And I, I love how Sansa gets that final dig in. He can't have children. <laughs> it's like, nice girl, nice. Um, and what's interesting is, like, Bran then looks at Tyrion and is like, because I think Tyrion's, he's still, even though he's officially created the Electoral College and named the new king, he's still a prisoner. So like, Grey Worm's like, uh, and Bran's like, you're my new hand of the king. And Grey Worm goes, no. And Bran goes, I'm the king. I demand it. And Grey Worm's like, you're right. I only listen to white people. And it's, exactly. uh, it's, it's bananas. And then um, Tyrion gets to be hand of the king. Right, and, and Bran says you'll, you'll spend the rest of your life, you know, to a certain extent atoning for your mistakes, and that's okay, uh, which is interesting. Um, in regards to John, I guess there's like a huge debate, and Sansa and Arya are upset with this. Uh, Grey Worm wanted him dead. They decide to send him north to the Night's Watch. Um, and when Tyrion says this to John in the cell, because everyone has conversations in these jail cells, um, John's like, what's what is there even left why, why is there uh wait what and like uh Tyrion says a line that means a lot to me because remember I always think of the Night's Watch as the diocesan priesthood and he goes well the world always needs a home for bastards and broken men and I was like oh the shade towards priest is amazing um and you know he tells John like you can't have a wife you can't have land and you can father no children Grey Worm's not happy, but he's accepted it. Sansa and Arya are like, all right, we're so sorry. Um, in, in a final scene that I think is important, Jon asks Tyrion if what he did was right in the jail cell. And Tyrion's like, what we did. What we yeah. did. And I think that's beautiful. And Jon just goes, it just doesn't feel right. And Tyrion says, ask me again in 10 years and I'll tell you how I feel about it. This, that is a very good response. Um, it also, I think, leaves open the possibility for a reboot of some sort. But also the fact that you, you need time to process whether or not you made the right decision. It's not like you immediately get, like, and no, killing someone you loved is never going to feel good, even if you needed to do it. So uh, John is put on a boat north, which is ridiculous. It, there's no boats that go north. He should be on a horse, but <laughs> okay. Um, and then this is the part that had me, like, dying all of King's Landing appears to have been rebuilt in two weeks. Completely. Everything, even the boats, the books, the Red Keep, everything is pristine and perfect. And I'm like, 
you guys, come on. Like, this is such a continuity problem. Like, I'm not mad about the water bottles. I'm mad that the red keep, even the candlesticks are repaired. Like, every, it's like, it never, it's like, what is it in, in Harry Potter? Like, you remember, like, when they use the, like, magic wands to undo damage? Like, they don't have that magic. Unless there yeah, are. They don't got that. You don't have, you don't have a Newt Scamander. Get your shit together. Right. Um, so when Sansa and John are goodbye to each other, Sansa asks him to forgive her because she didn't want him to have to go to the wall. And he's like, uh, no, like the North is free thanks to you. You are now the queen of the North and that's the best that the North could ask for, which I think is a great acknowledgement that John acknowledges he should not have power. Um, Arya is heading west of Westeros because uh, apparently um, Bran can't tell her what's west of Westeros. Exactly. Bran, like, you suck. Thank you, Bran. Uh, Brienne Thank you, Brienne. You know everything. You could at least tell your sister what you can expect. Right. Brienne is filling out Jamie's page in the Lord Commander book because that's she has her, her burn book. Right. I, I love the, the gifts of her being like Katie Heron's a like whore. Um, but she's filling out, you know, that he died a heroic, he, he lived a heroic life. It was more complicated than it was when um, he had last seen the book, right? And then everything is as it is in the Red Keep. Um, you know, the King's Council is Tyrion. Sam is the Meister. Bron- I enjoyed this scene. It, it's, I mean, it's fine. It, it felt a little bit like the end of uh, the, what is I mean, the like fun? the 18th ending of like Return yes. of the King? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like so Bron- going to black, you're like, just yeah, I'm like, just episode. end it. Braun is master of coin, and he did end up with Highgarden, which makes no sense. Uh, Brienne is Lord Commander, which we know when love she's- Love that. We love that. We're okay with that. It's fine. I'm okay with that. Sam lets Tyrion know that the book covering the five wars is out called A Song of Ice and Fire, which- The best know, novel of all the six kingdoms. Well, and apparently Tyrion hasn't been entirely left out of the novel, which is a reminder to readers that history is told by- one perspective and it's never an accurate perspective um davos is also on the council this is where bran you know says he's gonna warg to find drogon but sam's like oh he's in volantis um with danny right uh so the last three things that happen are um we get the goodbye to the stark children so Arya's on a boat she's going west because bran just couldn't tell her what was out there but i think it's you know it's Arya, Arya the explorer um is happening <laughs> <laughs> and then sansa is uh preparing for her coronation there's a gorgeous shot of the weirwood tree detailing of her dress her crown is the two direwolves and we have a queen in the north which is all i wanted out of this entire season um and she is, looked great oh she looked amazing and then we get john who gets to the wall and for the second time says fuck you to taking the black so t- second time he's like fuck being a priest um he uh sees ghosts says hello to ghosts and then rides off with the free folk and tormon to start a new life but what is there to protect no 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 he, there wasn't anything to protect even though they rebuilt the wall apparently he he decides not to stay with the with the night's watch he decides to go with the free folk as they search out a new life oh now see that i didn't even read that yeah 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 so, like, he does arrive at the wall, and we're, I mean, there's nothing to defend anymore. But, but that, the point that Tyrion said is, you know, people always need a place to send bastards and broken men so that they feel important. But John recognizes there's nothing left to protect, and also that his life can start again, 
which is why he goes with Tormund as they go north. And Tormund had alluded to this in an episode prior that he felt like John was really of the north. So they're just, they're going to go start a settlement and live a new life. And who knows what will happen. Like, Maybe get together. I mean, that would be a beautiful love story. But he does get his dog back. Right. Um, so that is how this episode ends. Um, the second act was a shit show. Things that didn't matter at all was whether or not Tyrion was a Lannister or a Targaryen, any of Arya's training, Bran warging and his general weirdness. The Night King of, was of no importance. The three-headed dragon theories, um, the prince or princess who was promised, like so much Nothing shit didn't matter. But it, this, this is it. We got to say goodbye to Game of Thrones because it has ended. Goodbye, and I feel okay with it. The second act, clearly, I don't give a shit about. All I, I, all I cared about was like Queen in the North. Um, but that first act, I think, is everything. And I will continue to kind of digest it. And I might do some written blog posts about it because I feel really strongly about it. I um, haven't watched it again. I only watched it the one time. Maybe watch it again and tell me if you feel differently because I did. Okay. So everyone, you have... You've been through it you all. Made it. You made it. You today. made it through the Game of Thrones. And we are still alive. <laughs> a little. I mean, let's not, let's not rush to judge. A little piece of me died. Um, so Remember when we were recapping A Discovery of Witches and then we were like, oh, this show's either going to be really good or really bad. I'm having like really bad flashbacks. Because <laughs> the first two episodes of the season, of this season, and I'll argue the third, I liked the battle for Winterfell, were amazing. And then it just went to shit. Again, um, I think I'm going to stick with my comment from the beginning, which is I'm not going to look at this as a final season. I'm going to, like, as a whole, Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, I like where we ended up. I don't like how we got there. I think the showrunners really just ran out for Star Wars and, like, and didn't take the time and the care to get us to where we needed. I think we got to where we needed to get to. It's just we didn't get there in a way that I think was justified. Um, but in the words of Tyrion, ask me in 10 years how I feel about it. Exactly. So y'all, we'll see. We, this, that, this is the end of season three. Uh, the end of season three of Pop Culture. Of Pop Culture Theologians. This is our third show that we cover. Um, we're you know so what's really exciting, Marcy? You know what's super exciting? What? So pretty soon, we're going to have to jump back into new shows. So later on this fall, The Purge will probably be coming back. So we'll be covering that again. And then next year, most likely, A Discovery of Witches will come back with season two. And for those of you that are listening and listen to A Discovery of Witches, that show on AMC actually wraps up whenever this airs on, on Sunday, if this airs in our normal regular schedule. So you'll have to do that. And we have so much to kind of like the traditions that we've set and the shows that we've already followed we get to revisit in a way yeah like we said westworld is coming back the purge is coming back um discovery of witches is coming back but we do have something kind of exciting to share which is there is, is a it, new show coming is it marcy is it time to get dark it's time to get dark john are, are we already a little dark this? though like this like like all the episodes of game of thrones I think we know my insides are dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marcy, why don't you kick us, why don't you let the listeners know what they can look forward to for season four of Pop Culture Theologians? We're very excited. We actually, we're, we're going to do season four asterisks because HBO is being a little shifty with their schedule <laughs> and none of these shows have announced when they start. So this is kind of a toss up, but right now, 
Um, like we said, Westworld, Purge, Discovery of Witches all coming back and we'll be covering them. But we have a new show coming up for season four. Um, we will be doing His Dark Materials, which HBO has been, um, has shared with us some of the trailers during the Game of Thrones premiere. This is Philip Pullman's trilogy. Um, it was a response to Chronicles of Narnia. It's like an atheist response to Chronicles of Narnia. It is one of my favorite sets of fantasy books ever. Um, incredible star power, Lin-Manuel Miranda's in it. Um, there was a terrible movie done like 10 years ago of it. So I'm very excited. Love to hate this movie though. Love to hate it. I'm very excited that HBO has the rights to it and is going to to do, hopefully do right by it. And it's so, a BBC production too as well. It's an HBO and BBC We are super dorky about our BBC productions. Which you know um, means it's going to be good. It's, it's going to have corsets. Uh, we're very, very excited. So a lot coming out. Uh, just, you know, keep following us on uh, social, like on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. And as these shows start to come up, we will start to pop up. We'll also do ad hoc episodes for movies and stuff coming out. And um, we're very excited about uh, 2019 coming up. But we just want to say thank you for being on this Game of Thrones ride with us. It's been a wild ride. You're like our listener numbers have have like significantly increased, and it means a lot to us. Like, um, we're just we're happy to have you all be part of the pop culture family. We're all happy that you're here. We're happy you're sticking around. Thank you for being part of the fandom. And we'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>